you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. This episode of Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary is brought to you ad-free by Adaptive Biotechnologies. From Offscript Media, I am Matthew Zachary, and this is Out of Patience. Today, part one of a three-part series on immunotherapy. Joining us will be Megan Gutierrez, the CEO of the Lymphoma Research Foundation, and Dr. Leo Wong, who is an assistant professor of pediatrics and immuno-oncology at City of Hope. During today's episode, a brief overview of immunotherapy, we're going to be focusing on what immunotherapy is, why the approach is so compelling, and its known limitations to date. Enjoy the show. And social distance yourself. So it's really important these days to understand not just where we're at, but where we came from and where we're going and, and past this prologue really matters in the sense of medicine. And we were talking before the show briefly about how, you know, I was diagnosed 25 years ago when there was no immunotherapy, there were no clinical trials. There were like six chemotherapy agents out there. The FDA approved something every nine years. And it's critically important to appreciate what actually has happened over the past 25 years. Uh, and, and even the word survivorship and quality of life and paying attention to the person beyond the disease is worthy of endless conversation. So I thank you guys for joining us. And I'd like to kick it off to, to Leo. This is your life. You've spent your world doing this, pediatric hematology, brain tumors. What's been your perspective? You entered this a while ago. You're, you're on the front lines. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. I... Um... I do think a lot about this, uh, as I'm sure everybody in this in this room does. So I don't know. I mean, I just have a different perspective, I guess, uh, as a provider uh, rather than a, a patient advocate, patient or advocate. I I have a PhD in immunology, so I've been doing this for I don't know, 25 years or so, 20 years, and uh, and it really has been an explosion in the last decade or so, uh, you know, really some revolutionary approvals and transformative uh, therapies that have changed the lives of patients um, and their families. And it's really been wonderful to see. I do think that has been the culmination of decades of work. Uh, you know, everybody talks about how immunotherapy really was started in the 1890s with William Coley. And then, you know, the, the work of, of Jim Allison, uh, who just got the Nobel Prize, was started in the 1980s. So, so this has been a long time coming. Uh, I, I did my PhD at the University of Chicago, and that was in the early 2000s um, or late 90s. And, and Tom Gajewski was starting his work there. And, you know, Craig Thompson was working on CTLA-4 there at the time. And so 
I had the benefit of seeing all of that move from from the bench to the bedside over the course of, of really about 30 years. And it's just in the last 10 that it's really exploded and it's been wonderful to see. But I do think that people sometimes forget that this has been going on for quite some time. Coley was really ahead of his time, to say the least, that this was happening you know, over 100 years ago. And the world wasn't ready for it, but his brain really did set the stage. I think it's important for people to understand exactly what you're pointing out, that this is not a new conversation. A lot of people think, oh, the Human Genome Project did this. No, it kind of helped it, but it's been around a long time. And in the spirit of, of Schoolhouse rocking this, um, maybe we should start with some basic definitions, if that's all right. For instance, what is immunotherapy? What is the immune system for that matter? Sure. That's a great idea. So let's start with the immune system, which is the part of the body that fights off things that should not be there, uh, whether that's infections, so viruses, bacteria, fun funguses, fungi, or parts of the body that have started doing things that they shouldn't do. So cancer is a perfect example of that. Broadly speaking, you can divide the immune system into two big parts. So there's the what's called the innate immune system, uh, which is the part of the immune system that is essentially the same from person to person. And then there's the adaptive immune system. The adaptive immune system is the part that is unique to each individual and is a, called adaptive because it, it sort of changes and grows, evolves with the person, depending on what the person sees throughout their life. And the main parts of that are the, the lymphocytes, the B cells and T cells. B cells make antibodies. So those are the things that are responsible for allergies, as an example. And T cells are a type of cell that were described in the 1970s. And they are cells that surveil the body. And when they see things that shouldn't be there, they uh, are very good at, at killing the, those, those things. They're cells that are infected with viruses or intracellular bacteria, um, but they can also be cancer cells. Immunotherapy is the idea that you can reprogram the body's own immune system to focus it on something that you want it to focus on. So backing up just a bit, your, your body itself is very good at getting rid of cancer. So cancer cells are cells that you know are growing too quickly, don't know that they should stop growing, don't know when to die, and they most often have mutations in them, which are things that aren't there in your normal cells. And as a result, your immune system can recognize them as different and is usually very efficient at killing them. So when patients do develop cancer, that often is a failure of what we call immune surveillance, meaning that normally the system in place that exists to get rid of cancer, which is the immune system, fails. Somehow it loses the ability to see those cells. And immune therapy, immunotherapy is the idea that we can, then, we can reset that. We can aid the immune system or reprogram the immune system somehow to leverage it back against these, these cells. Leo, the best way that I've been able to explain immune, immunotherapy when I talk to pediatric groups is that we want you to become Wolverine. We want you to be able to self-heal and have your body do the work for you. Is that a fair analogy when you're talking to a nine-year-old? <laughs> uh, that, that's great. I love that. I love that imagery. Yeah. So queuing up on that wonderful way to speak to kids, because you do work in pediatric oncology, to the extent that you are hoping to explain this to the lay patient out there, how are you 
going about helping them appreciate that this is an option, that this is a conversation that didn't exist 25 years ago, because jump ahead to go back for a second, but this idea of immunotherapy, it's really important, highly intellectual academic science. It's not like the old days where you had two options and that was it. What do you see as the biggest challenges in explaining this to your current patient load? Because it's critical. They understand this, but not everyone is a doctor or a PhD that, that speaks this, these many syllables. Yeah, that's a great point, Matthew. I think clear communication is always key. And, and my philosophy is that if you don't understand what I'm saying, then I've done a bad job of explaining it. And I need to keep going until we reach a common understanding. And to be frank, that's true of almost anything that I do, whether it's telling nine-year-old that she's getting a porticath placed or whether it's explaining you know, the intricacies of, of how uh, CD19 targeted CAR T cells work. Fundamentally, these are actually relatively simple concepts as long as you break them down in a way that people can understand. Well, that's a good, when that's you're a good segue to Megan because I feel, I mean, having run a patient advocate organization, we've always felt like the translators and it's really critical that we play that role. Megan, running, running uh, lymphoma research, you probably have a huge stake in that agreement too. Like we're here to support people and speak their language when we, we don't want the doctors necessarily to have to explain. We want them to help us and be the best in their intelligence and their wisdom. What's your, what's your take on that? Sure. Well, immunotherapies have actually been used for the treatment of lymphoma for decades, beginning with the advent of monoclonal antibodies now more than 20 years ago. Ultimately, how lymphomas respond to immunotherapy depends on how well the immune system can target the lymphoma cells, but also the specific lymphoma subtype. Uh, so immunotherapies in our case can be used as initial treatment for certain patients. Different therapies might be used for those re with relapsed or refractory disease. And still other, many agents are being investigated as part of a clinical trial. So not only making sure that patients fundamentally understand how immunotherapies may treat their lymphoma, but understanding their treatment decision-making and their applicability to their particular disease is critically important and something that the Lymphoma Research Foundation has really prioritized as we've seen and witnessed the advent of multiple new immunotherapies in just the last several years. So it's really an attempt to focus on the applicability to a particular patient's situation. What have some of the limitations been over the past, say, decade when it comes to immunotherapies? There are, immunotherapy is an umbrella term that covers multiple different approaches. That's a really important question and gets to what Megan was saying about the applicability of any given therapy for a particular patient. As we move into an era of personalized and precision medicines, I think immunotherapy needs to be considered one of those. Previously, as Matthew had stated, we had chemotherapy and chemotherapy was given sort of universally. Anybody who had lymphoma was given this particular cocktail of, of agents and we sort of hoped that it worked. As we gain a deeper understanding of the molecular mechanisms behind particular cancers, we're getting a better picture of each individual patient's cancer and the vulnerabilities of that cancer. Immunotherapy is 
a great tool in that armamentarium, in that arsenal. Uh, you know, starting with monoclonal antibodies as a perfect example, these are weapons that recognize specific parts of a tumor. And if you as a patient don't have that thing on your tumor, then we won't use that particular therapy for you. So we're learning that we need to classify things that are in large groups like lymphoma, right? Lymphoma encompasses many things. And, you know, first we had Hodgkin and non-Hodgkin lymphoma, then within non-Hodgkin's, there's, you know, various categories of, of lymphoma, you know, DLBCL or follicular mantle cell. But, but now in the molecular era, we're, we're learning about what are the things that are on those tumors or in those tumors that define them? And then can we do that at a smaller and smaller population level until we get to each individual patient? And circling back to what Matthew had asked, you know, when I have a conversation with a patient about a particular therapy, that's an individual conversation. So I will say to a patient, we've done tests on your particular cancer, and we know these things about it. Because we know these things about it, we expect or hope that these particular therapies will be uniquely effective against it. And that's why we're recommending this, whether that's, you know, rituximab uh, or a CD19 car targeted CAR T cell or um, some other, you know, therapy. I think that's a great point. Uh, in the era of precision medicine, understanding uh, individual patients' particular disease, but then also which treatments are more likely than not uh, to have a positive benefit in treating their cancer. I think that's increasingly while we're also making a concerted effort to assist patients in understanding some of the new diagnostic tools and platforms that may benefit they and their healthcare team as they think about treatment. And in the case of uh, disease states, such as indolent lymphomas, to offer just one example from our space, you also are thinking increasingly about treatment sequencing. So there are many lymphoma subtypes that are treatable, yet perhaps not curable yet. And so many patients will need to think about the prospect of undergoing treatment several times throughout the course of their lifetime. So thinking where and how immunotherapy may play a role in the larger sequence of treatments is also increasingly a conversation that we are having with patients and attempting to educate them about their options. See, I look at it as a good problem to have going back to the Conversation that what what, uh, what what Leo said like the napalm and hope model of chemotherapy twenty years ago, and now everything is just so proprietary and so n of one and so individual. The complexities therein are essentially a good problem to have, but they really do add a lot of stress on decision making and how do you track what is right for patients out there. Uh, both, I, I guess, Megan first, like running a nonprofit we have that same brain on, how do we do our best job in helping people understand that this is right for you, but what you define as right for you may be different than what science defines as right for you? Sure. So I think first and foremost, disease education is at the forefront, not only of the Lymphoma Research Foundation's work, but uh, your work uh, in the nonprofit sector, you know that, making sure that patients are empowered by first and foremost, understanding their diagnosis. From there, I think understanding their treatment options and the way in which new treatments may 
impact their diagnosis and their trajectory is critically important. And so I think arming patients with that information, but then also making sure that they feel empowered to engage with their healthcare team, to ask questions about their disease state, their prognosis, uh, the potential of utilizing one of these new immunotherapies is very important. So arming them with the information and the questions they need to participate actively in the shared decision-making process with their healthcare team, I think in this area and in this subject matter in particular, is of the utmost importance. And I think we do that through a variety of means. The education programs that many organizations deploy are very important, I think, because they can break down the very technical language and information uh, to make it accessible, um, regardless of a patient's healthcare literacy level. I think the other thing we do is make sure that patients have the opportunity to learn from other patients. So our lymphoma support network, or LSN, are increasingly seeing requests from patients and their caregivers to be linked with other patients and caregivers who have perhaps accessed some of these novel therapies. They not only want to understand efficacy, obviously, but they want to understand the impact that some of these therapies had on their health-related quality of life. They want to understand how it might impact their ability to access future treatments. If they had to travel, say, in the case of cellular therapy, CAR T-cell therapy, which is now being used in um, a number of lymphoma subtypes, understanding the impact of having to travel to a tertiary care center to access therapy. All of those things, I think, are, are factoring into patients' decision-making, and we want to make sure they understand the context in which they're making those decisions. Thus concludes part one of our three-part series on immunotherapy. Megan and Dr. Wong will be joining us for part two to talk a bunch more about the present and future of, you guessed it, immunotherapy. We'll see you there. Later, folks. That's all for today, folks. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary is a product of Offscript Media. Our executive producer is Matthew Zachary. Our senior producers are Jen Horanjeff and Andrew McDowell. Darren Tun is our production intern. It is recorded, mixed, and edited by Matthew Zachary. Our theme music is by the Mike Van Allen Quintet and by Mara. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscript.com. Hit us up at contact at offscript.com to share comments, feedback, and make guest recommendations. For more information, visit offscript.com. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. Auto Trader.